Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom from lovely Los Angeles, which I'm glad we're here. You know, it's been a uh, wild week in college football. We've seen, you know, bowl games getting impacted left and right. We were a little bit late making it in here. We had our first ever Spirit Airlines experience went about probably the way we should have expected our first Spirit Airlines experience to go, but uh, we did make it in on Monday and as of uh, this moment, it appears, you know, full speed ahead toward a Rose Bowl being played on Saturday. And of course, in this uh, crazy COVID world we live in, nothing is guaranteed, but we're certainly hoping uh, to see one more Ohio State football game before the end of the season on Saturday. We were warned about Spirit Airlines going into the trip, and some of those fears were confirmed because we ended up getting to Los Angeles a little bit later, about a day later than we hoped to miss out on Disneyland. Garrick Hodge, of course, our recruiting expert, was there on hand to cover everything. And an- another thing is that the the Lowry's Beef Bowl is another thing we're not going to be able to, to do in Los Angeles that we hoped to be able to. But we, as you said, we still have football on the schedule right now. And it looks like the game will be played. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything like that. But we got to talk to players on Tuesday and, and go to practice as well. And everything's moving uh, along towards the Rose Bowl taking place in Pasadena. Yeah, we're definitely fortunate to be in the position we're in because it it is a bit scaled down this week. Like we were supposed to have a media day with the full coaching staff and the full two deep on on Thursday, which, you know, that would have been probably the most interesting media session of a week because it would have been an opportunity uh, to talk to some guys we don't typically get to, to talk to all the different coaches, some of whom may or may not be coaching in their final games at Ohio State. So it's unfortunate, but we don't get that opportunity definitely unfortunate we don't get to go to the lowry's beef bowl which i know we were all looking forward to but you look at some of the other bowl games around the country uh, some of them have gone all virtual including the college football playoff semifinals where there's really no in-person access at all we've been fortunate enough as you said to have some in-person media availability to have some you know in-person practice viewing windows some of those things are going to be happening on wednesday you know really as this is being uh, published on onto the internet. Uh, there's stuff that's gonna be going on Wednesday morning here in LA into afternoon, East Coast time. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. So hopefully nothing we say here today will be outdated by the time we publish on Wednesday. But certainly I think the biggest news to come out of the week here in LA so far is the news that four Buckeyes will be opting out of a game. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Nicholas Petitfrere, Haskell Garrett. Certainly not a huge shock that there are some opt-outs in this game. That is something that you know we anticipated would be the case all along. But still, it's, it's very noteworthy because we're talking about four of Ohio State's best players. And you know, this is the Rose Bowl. You know, I think I saw the tweet from Stuart Mandel the other day that I don't know if this was confirmed, but it was that no player had ever opted out of a Rose Bowl before this. So, like, this is, you know, this is a big thing. Like, this is the, the quote-unquote granddaddy of them all. And Ohio State's going to be felt four of its best players in the game. So, certainly, in a game that we already expect to be a tough game, that certainly could have a major impact on Ohio State being without four of its best players. There were certainly some inklings that some of those guys might opt out of this game, of course. 
However, we still saw pictures of Chris Olave, you know, with the team practicing in, in pads and everything like that leading up to the game. And we saw him practice on Tuesday with and, the team. Even after he opted out, he's yeah. still practicing to some extent with the Buckeyes. But I think some people thought, you know, him coming back to California, where he's from, of course, could he have one more game with Ohio State? That was definitely a possibility. So maybe out of those four, is that the most surprising to me? Perhaps it is, I think, because we because you know the social media people for how say we're putting Chris Olave front and center in some of those little clips they were putting out so it really made it gave people the the hope that Chris Olave might play one more game in a scarlet and gray uniform but alas he's not going to and Ohio State now has some pretty key absences on both sides of the ball yeah Olave is the biggest surprise of the group to me too just because like you said with it being you know in Southern California I mean I, I think truthfully I think Chris Olave wanted to play in this game I think he probably still wants to play in this game. I think that's probably why he's still out there practicing with the team. But I think ultimately he's making a business decision here. Ultimately, it's a matter of him talking to his family, talking to people close to him, and realizing that you're going to be a first-round pick in the spring. Playing in this game is not going to help your NFL draft stock at this point because you've already proven everything you can prove at the collegiate level. If you play in this game and you get hurt, you could risk the, the the first round money that you're about to go get and so i i think it really is a business decision for all of these guys it, it is and you know i think it's you know that's something that you know i i hope most of our listeners will understand you know i obviously you know this is still a sore topic for a lot of people and you know there's people who view it as oh they're quitting on their team or you know they're not committed to the team I mean, you talk about a guy like Chris Olave. Most people thought Chris Olave was going to leave after last season. Chris Olave could have been a first-round pick after last season. He decided to come back for another year at Ohio State because he wanted to take another shot at winning a championship with Ohio State. They, they didn't get to that point. At this point, for him to make a decision, a business decision for the betterment of himself, you know, any anybody who's looking at him as selfish or, or disloyal or not committed to Ohio State, to me, that's crazy. I mean, same would go for Haskell Garrett, another guy who absolutely could have gone to the NFL last year, decided to come back for another year. You know, those guys have, all four of those guys we're talking about, they've all given so much to Ohio State. They've all been, you know, when you think about up to this point, they're all guys who have been extremely committed to Ohio State, have done all the things the coaches have asked them, you know, are all very highly thought of within the program. And so for them to make this decision, I mean, again, you're talking about two guys who are going to be first round picks and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Another guy who could be, my guess is probably a second round pick though, and, and Nicholas petit Frere. but either way, a, a guy who is going to be an early round draft pick. And then a guy in Haskell Garrett, who's probably a middle round pick, but who's been battling through an injury all year and didn't miss a game during the entire regular season, even though it was clear at times that he was hurt. So all four of those guys have a reason to protect themselves at this point. And, you know, I think the majority of Ohio State fans recognize that, that, you know, these guys have given a lot to the team. These guys are making the business decision that's best for themselves at this point. But it, it does signify a couple things. For one, that the Rose Bowl, when it's not a playoff game, simply doesn't mean as much to Ohio State as it once did. Because, you know, there was a time where a player opting out of a Rose Bowl 
just to protect his NFL draft stock was unthinkable. But it, it, it's not anymore. And secondly, it, it certainly could have an impact on whether or not Ohio State wins this game because you're talking about two phenomenal wide receivers, the starting left tackle, and their sacks leader. Yeah, and the obvious kind of answer when you're looking at it, what's the biggest loss out of those opt-outs for Ohio State? Oh, well, it must be Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Well, you think about it, though, and Ohio State, they still have so much talent at wide receiver behind those two guys. And guess what? They still have their leading receiver going to be playing in the game because Jackson Smith and Jigba leads the team in receptions and receiving yards coming into this game. And you look at the other guys they've got in that room, you kind of think, okay, I mean, passing the ball wasn't really an issue with Ohio State anyway. You do lose those two potential first-round draft picks, but they could still be fine passing the ball. So, And, and now you look at those other two guys, and the line of scrimmage was really the area that's cost Ohio State the most in both of their losses this season, which is why I think you might look at a Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, whose absence now will force the offensive line to realign a little bit from their, their normal starting look this year, and Haskell Garrett, a starter as well on the defensive line. And those could be maybe bigger losses when you look at what this Utah team does well. That's a fair point, but I'm going to disagree with you. I, I think the bigger losses are Olave and Wilson. Because think about the last two years. There have been two games Ohio State has played in which one of those guys has not been on the field. One was the Northwestern game last year, the Big Ten Championship game. And I'm going to see if I can find the stat here. In that game, Ohio State scored... 22 points. They had two touchdowns in that game. Then this year against Nebraska, Ohio State was about Garrett Wilson, scored a season-low 26 points, two touchdowns in the game. If you look the last two years, the only times Ohio State has only scored two touchdowns in a game was when Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson did not play. So I think not having those two is an enormous loss. I really do. And that's knock on other guys in the room because there is a ton of talent in that room. I mean, you guys like Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison, Mecca Buka. If any one of those guys comes out and has a huge game on Saturday, I wouldn't be surprised. If Jackson Smith and Jigba has a monster game, I mean, I think there's a good chance Jackson Smith and Jigba by the end of a game on Saturday is going to have broken Ohio State's single season receptions record because the record is currently 90 by Paris Campbell. He's at 80. I like his... I, I would take the over on 10 catches for Jackson Smith and Jigbo without Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave out there. So I'm not saying that Ohio State isn't still going to be able to make plays through the air, especially when you look at a Utah secondary that is probably its biggest weakness, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But I still think to not only be without one, I think even losing one of those guys is a big loss, but to be without both of them, yeah, those other guys are talented, but Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are two of the best wide receivers in Ohio State history. And I think if you're looking at a game that at least I think is going to be a very close game, to me, if I'm looking at Ohio State, like a prediction of what I think Ohio State's going to do in this game, to me, taking away Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, to me, that probably, at the very least, makes the difference of one touchdown that Ohio State would score in this game. And I think in a game like this, Ohio State's offense be scoring one fewer touchdown because it doesn't have those big play guys at wide receiver, I think that could make the difference between a win and a loss. And before we move away from the topic of opt-outs in general, and we should acknowledge a question from Daniel who asks, in general, what is your opinion about players opting out of the bowl games? 
He says, I see both ways that a high draft pick doesn't want to risk injury, but they also get a free education and maybe they need to play in all the games the team plays. I mean, you already touched on kind of why people shouldn't be so up in arms. Fans shouldn't be up in arms about guys opting out. My opinion is, listen, if it was a college football playoff game, those guys weren't going to opt out. The fact that we already know this game is meaningless, essentially, because, you know, that's they, Ohio State lost to Michigan. They didn't have a chance to win the Big Ten championship. And that's just the nature of the beast right now. I mean, this game just doesn't have a whole lot of stakes to it, especially for those guys that are going to be departing and going to the next level. So my opinion is you got to do what's best for you at this point. And I can't really fault those guys for opting out, to be completely honest. And, and you know, it does – Chris Olave being a part of the team, I think that just speaks volumes about – him as a teammate and everything like that maybe you know somebody a team captains or something would want to be with the program right now maybe i could fault for that maybe but the opting out part of it definitely is something that i can't fault those guys for i'll admit from a a just a football fan's perspective like if i just take off like the journalist hat for a second just talk about it like as a college football fan as somebody who just loves watching the game like I, I hate that this is the world that we live in now. Like, it sucks because I used to really look forward to watching all the bowl games. And, like, you know, for those of you who've been listening to podcasts for a long time, you know, like, I'm a big NFL draft guy. And, like, I would always, like, one thing I would really in particular look forward to was, like, watching all the draft prospects play their final games in the bowl game. And now, other than the CFP games, very few, you know, projected first round guys are playing in those bowl games. So like for me, like as somebody who really likes watching the NFL draft prospects, like it's just it's one less reason to like actually watch these games because there's just not you just don't have as many of those high end talents out there. You don't have those, you know, first round picks, you know, trying to make their one final showcase before they go to the league. So like from that perspective, like it sucks. Like I, 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 I think it's unfortunate that, you know, from a fan's perspective, that we don't get to see those guys play one final time. But when I then, but when I look at it from a player's perspective and where they're coming from, I don't blame them at all. You know, because again, I, 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 you look at those guys who, you know, we just named them, especially Wilson Olave. Like the, the reality is they didn't have, from an NFL draft stock perspective, they didn't have anything to gain from playing in a game. They only had something to lose. And so from a business standpoint, I totally get it from those two guys. You know, Petit Frere, Haskell Garrett, maybe you could argue like they could have used a really good bowl game after you not playing as well against Michigan. I think you could make that argument. But at the same time, again, like Haskell Garrett was battling through injuries. It's probably in his best interest to fully recover, get fully healthy before a combine pro day, all of that. I know Petit Frere was dealing with an injury at one point during the year, I believe, as well. I think maybe a hand thing. So I don't know if that had any factor in it. But, you know, I, from their perspective, I totally get it. And I think to the second part of a question, you know, that kind of goes back to what I was saying before, the part about them getting a free education and maybe they need to play in all the games. Like, again, I, I don't think those guys owe Ohio State anything at this point. I, I think all of those guys have fulfilled their commitment to the Ohio State football team. Like you said, Griffin, this isn't a college football game. You know, those guys, all of those guys came back to play for a championship. They're not playing for a championship this game. So while you know, I hate using the word like meaningless fair like you did because it's still the Rose Bowl. Like I don't think this game is meaningless, but the reality is 
Those guys didn't come back to play him a Rose Bowl. I mean, Garrett Wilson couldn't have gone last year anyway, but you get the point. Those, those guys didn't play this year to play in a Rose Bowl. They played to play for a championship, and they didn't reach that goal. So I understand why they're doing it. It doesn't necessarily mean I like it, but I get it. And four guys opted out, but another four group of four players that are very notable for Ohio State, another group of four starters, just like the opt-outs, were absent from Tuesday's practice that we got to see. And unfortunately, on Tuesday, we didn't get a chance to ask several of the defensive players we talked to earlier in that day about some of these absences. But it is certainly notable and newsworthy that Seven Banks, Antoine Jackson, Cody Simon, and Marcus Williamson were all not at practice on Tuesday. Now, we don't know for certain that means that none of them will play or exactly what's going on with them in general. But it certainly is a a cautionary sign that four guys that have started games for Ohio State this year might not play on top of those four opt-outs. Yeah, I mean, it's never a good sign if the week of a game guys aren't practicing. You know, it's different because this is the only time we get to see guys practice during an actual game week. We typically don't get to do that during a regular season. And so, you know, there could always be little different things that are going on. But, you know, I mean, for one, I mean, I'll say from what I've heard, it hasn't been confirmed by the team, but I've heard that Simon underwent shoulder surgery after the season that he's not going to play in this game. I think that's been out there in in certain places. Again, not confirmed by the team, but that's what I've heard. So I wasn't surprised to see him absent. From what I also heard, Seven Banks was on Instagram, I believe, on Tuesday from Orlando. And so it doesn't appear that he's even in Los Angeles. And so that would seemingly indicate that he's not going to be playing in this game. Jackson and Williamson, I haven't heard anything uh, about those two. I know that on Monday, Ryan Day talked about Antoine Jackson as if he was going to play a big role in this game. So um, not reporting anything here. Just naturally, I think your head wonders, is COVID at play here? Because we do know that Ryan Day said Monday that there had only been a couple isolated cases of COVID. He said that they were, quote, not key contributors. So I wouldn't think that would apply to Antoine Jackson or Marcus Williamson because they were probably going to start the game. But obviously this is a fluid situation. I mean, again, we're recording this on Tuesday. We're going to go to another practice on Wednesday. Antoine Jackson, Marcus Williamson could be at practice. There could also be other players we're not talking about now that aren't at practice. I mean, who knows? This is such a fluid situation. But certainly, I think, if we just assume the hypothetical that those four guys aren't going to play, because... I think if they're not at practice on a Tuesday, that's probably not a good sign of any of them playing. There's certainly going to be a little bit shorthanded on defense. It could be going to be about two of their top. They could be about two of their top defensive tackles in Haskell Garrett and Antoine Jackson. It could be about a starting middle linebacker and Cody Simon, one of their top three corners and seven banks, and then their their starting cover safety slash slot cornerback, whatever you want to call it, and Marcus Williamson. So. I don't know that any of those guys, like losing any one of those guys individually is like a fatal blow for this defense. But when you stack them all up together, now they have less depth at all three levels of their defense. And and they're going to need other guys to step up and play more. Whether that's, you know, Teron Vincent and Jerron Cage and Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton at defensive tackle. Whether that's Tommy Eichenberg or Taraja Mitchell or... Palier Nateote, maybe even Cade Stover after we saw him practicing at linebacker on Tuesday. You know, at corner, I would assume it's going to pretty much be the Denzel Burke and Cam Brown show, but if they need someone else to go in, 
you know, who is that? Is it Legend Cavazos? We know it's not Ryan Watts anymore. Is it? It could be Jordan Hancock or Jaqueline Johnson, the way that those guys have been talked about. They certainly do not have a ton of depth there. You know, slot corner, we've seen at that spot, we had seen Craig Young playing some time. He's not on the team anymore. And so it's probably the Leif and Ransom show there. He, you know, and if he goes down, then who plays there? Is it Cam Martinez, who had moved to free safety and who Matt Barnes was still talking about as a free safety? Could a Court Williams or Ronnie Hickman move out to that spot? I don't know. So I, I certainly think you add all these together. There's some definite depth concerns on defense. On top of the fact that there's already concerns about this defense based on the way they played much of a year, and especially against Michigan. Yeah, it certainly seems alarming when you're like, okay, eight different players that have started games are now seemingly, potentially, all going to be unavailable for the Rose Bowl. And again, we don't know about some of those guys. They could be a practice on Wednesday for all we know. But it's also interesting because you remember how the defensive rotations for Ohio State started out this year with a lot of different guys starting games and trying out a lot of different guys. And especially on the defensive line and a defensive tackle, that's something that kind of always goes on. There's always a lot of guys. There's always a, a very a deep group that, that Larry Johnson likes to play. And so it means that even with a lot of these guys being out, and potentially for some of them, like I said, other guys have still started games in, in their place. So you lose a guy like Cody Simon, but Tommy Eichenberg has gotten a considerable amount of experience this year to the point where you're like, you're not devastated at the loss of Cody Simon, I think, if you're Ohio State necessarily. And Marcus Williamson, like we talked about, we've, we've seen multiple guys start at that cover safety position instead of Marcus Williamson anyway. I mean, he only started starting games like midway through the season. Seven Banks, of course, he probably wasn't one of the top two cornerbacks for Ohio State. And while he did start games, I think Ohio State likes what it has in Cam Brown and Denzel Burke there. But yeah, I honestly do think, though, that, that the line of scrimmage could definitely be impacted with the loss of guys like Haskell Garrett and potentially Antoine Jackson just because of how physical Utah plays in the run game that it possesses, especially coming off of the Michigan loss. I wrote about this on Tuesday, but now would be a great time for Teron Vincent to look like a five-star recruit because he's a guy who's has played a lot this year. He, If Jackson doesn't play, he's going to be the most experienced defensive tackle in terms of playing time this year on the field. That's the guy that if I'm circling one guy in that defense to step up in this game, I'm looking at Teron Vincent. Not necessarily I think he is going to be the guy who steps up, but he's the guy that I'd look at that like if there's ever been a time for him to step up and really elevate his game because he's played a lot this year. In my mind, he still hasn't made a huge impact this year. And you're talking about a five-star recruit who's now at the end of his fourth year at Ohio State. You know, a Tyleek Williams, he could be a guy we've seen him flash this year. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Ty Hamilton ends up playing a lot in this game. But to Ron Vincent, that's the guy that I look at. Like, that's the guy they should want to see step up in this game, especially if they end up being without both Haskell Garrett and Antoine Jackson. And here's something I think a lot of fans probably want to know, especially because of the, the stakes or lack thereof of this Rose Bowl game. What are the vibes you're getting from Ohio State? Because we've now heard Ryan Day talk. We've talked to Matt Barnes. We've talked to a collection of players now on both sides of the ball. What's kind of the sense you get about the motivation level and focus for Ohio State as much as we're able to glean from just talking to these guys before the game? I, I mean, I do think they're motivated. I, I do think they care. I just don't think we're going to know really how much un, un, until Saturday because – Here's the vibe I, I, I get that Utah really cares about this game. You know, Utah is really 
passionate about winning a Rose Bowl. I mean, I've seen this game be called arguably the biggest game in Utah history. And Griffin just used the word meaningless to describe this game about 10 minutes ago. And so there's a huge difference in like how important this game is to the two teams. And I think, I don't think Ohio State, I don't think this game necessarily has to matter as much for Ohio State to beat Utah because Ohio State is still the more talented team, but it has to matter enough. And then you start adding in the fact that again, we're talking about they could be without eight guys at a minimum, potentially eight guys who have started games this year that are not going to be in this game. And it's, you know, it, it's just still, it's a lot of things Ohio State has to overcome. And I, I do think they really want to win this game, but I also get it. Like when I see comments out there that people like you're saying this game kind of has a spring game feel for Ohio State, like it kind of does because, because, you know, all those guys we just talked about, most likely the only one of those guys who's going to be on the team next year is Cody Simon. And so to me, it is like, yeah, like it's for Rose Bowl. You certainly want him for Rose Bowl. You certainly want to end the season with a win. But it's also, this is a look at 2022. And, you know, I mean, there, there's going to be guys out there who really just want to win because this is their final game. You talk about guys like Fayer Munford and Jeremy Ruckert and Tyreek Smith. I mean, I don't think those guys really give a crap about preparing for 2022. So I certainly think those guys are going to just be laser focused on winning the Rose Bowl. And I think I, I think Ohio State really wants to send those guys out the right way. I don't discount that. I think Ohio State really does. But I think the fact that you're looking at a game where there might not really be that many guys playing their final games. Because... Even a lot of those seniors like could still return for another year. So you, you take out a lot of those guys who aren't going to be playing their final game. It kind of does start to get that vibe of like, this is the start of 2022 and preparing for next season rather than being a, a full culmination of this season. Like it, it is the culmination of this season, but it's not going to be quite the same when you don't have guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson out there. And Dan, you're not the only one who's kind of getting this sense about this game because the line now on the game since the opt-out news happened has dropped from 6.5 to 4.5, which is going to be the lowest point spread that Ohio State's been favored by all year, which on paper, I think coming into the game, you're thinking Ohio State-Utah. That just doesn't sound right that Utah would be the biggest threat of any team Ohio State has played in terms of the spread on paper. But Dan, let's get into kind of why, aside from the opt-out stuff, but also influenced by that as well what what utah really does well that makes this matchup so potentially scary for ohio state fans and that's first and foremost we've already talked about it the run game for utah and, and it's so weird with ohio state as we've seen this season they've been so good at shutting down the run in some games for most of the season but in the two games ohio state lost they got dominated in the run game and utah ranks second in the country in rushing yards per carry ohio native tavion thomas i know you got to talk to him today so if you want to talk more about what he was talking about today. But he has 20 touchdowns this season, a 1,000-yard season for him. And it's going to be another huge test for the Ohio State run defense given the fact that they just got 297 yards and six touchdowns put on them by the Michigan running game in the last time we saw them on the field. Yeah, I will have a story on Tavion Thomas on 11 Warriors, likely on Wednesday morning, likely before this podcast has even been published. But... Yeah, if you just look at this Utah 
offense. And again, there's second in the nation in rushing yards per carry. Uh, Tavion Thomas is a big physical runner uh, from Ohio. His numbers this year, he has 1,041 yards and 20 touchdowns on just 186 attempts. Their offensive line has been playing really well. And you look at this Utah team, it's a team that, you know, they've just seemingly gotten better and better over the course of a season. And they've won their last six games. And, you know, you look at some of their numbers on offense down the stretch in those games. I mean, they had 290 rushing yards against UCLA. 441 rushing yards against Stanford, 174 against Arizona, 208 against Oregon, 265 against Colorado, 191 against Oregon again. So now, granted, they ran the ball at least 40 times in all of those games. So the averages aren't like off the charts in all those games. They're just running the ball a lot. But we saw what happened in the Michigan game where Michigan said we're going to run the ball right at you, try to stop us, and Ohio State couldn't stop them. So I think that's the number one thing that makes this matchup so scary for Ohio State is this is a team that plays the same brand of football that Michigan does, and we saw that Ohio State was unable to stop them in that game. And so now a month later with a full you know, month of bowl practices, has Ohio State been able to do enough has Ohio State been able to figure it out? Has Ohio State been able to get more physical? Have they been able to make schematic changes that will enable them to be much more effective against the run against Utah than it, than they were against Michigan? And to me, the answer to that is I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I think they should be capable of it because they certainly have the talent. I can't say that I expect to see substantial scheme changes in this game considering that Ohio State is going to have a new defensive coordinator on Sunday and he has not been coaching before the Rose Bowl. Like, I don't imagine that an out... I, I don't want to... I shouldn't call him an outgoing coaching staff because many of them could be back next year. And we'll talk about that a little bit later too. But do I really think that a lame duck coaching staff, so to speak, I mean, with a new defensive coordinator coming on Sunday, do I really think they're going to install a brand new scheme to, to be used for one game? I doubt it. And so I'm sure there's going to be some different personnel used. I mean, there's going to be just by fact of guys that might be out, but I'm sure they're going to try to do some different things uh, to try to stop the run much more effectively than they did against Michigan. But I also don't think they're going to be reinventing the wheel here. And so the, just the question is, and ultimately, I think a lot of it is just going to come down to, can they be more physical? Can they have better gap integrity? Can can they make those tough plays? Can they make those third and short stops that they couldn't make against Michigan? I, I think a lot of it's really going to come down to that. And I think that really probably is going to be the key to this game is, can Ohio State stop the run? Because we've seen it in the two games they've lost, for the biggest reason why they lost is because they haven't been able to stop the run. And, and Utah's not a passing team. I mean, I say that, give Cam Rising credit. He has had a good year. He has played well since he took over at quarterback. Utah has been much better. But you look at his numbers, I mean, even in that six-game winning stretch, he's only thrown for 180 or more yards once. So this is not a team that wants to pass the ball through the air. I think... If you're Ohio State, if you can stop the run, 
if you can get out to a lead, if you can force Utah to have to beat you through the air, that's probably your recipe for success for Ohio State. But if you play on your heels like you did against Michigan, and if you allow Utah to run the ball all over the way Michigan did, and you allow them to, to get out to a lead and you're chasing, I think there's a chance this game could look a lot like the Michigan game. And it's not just the Utah offense that poses the only threat for Ohio State in this game, because as good as we've seen the Ohio State offense be, and as high-flying and electrifying as we've seen it be, we've also seen it at times struggle to put up enough points to win certain games and against a few Big Ten opponents, even games like the Penn State game and the Nebraska game. We saw the offense sputter a little bit, enough to not put up huge numbers in terms of points. And Utah does also boast a very good defense ranks very highly in multiple categories. Utah is the, the 12th ranked total defense in the country, 21st ranked in scoring defense. They're tied fifth in sacks. We saw pressure get to CJ Stroud in that Michigan game. A guy like Aiden Hutchinson really gave problems to the, the Ohio State offensive line. And now, like we just already talked about, Ohio State's gonna be without one starting left tackle in the game, even though Thayer Munford, of course, has the experience of left tackle anyway. But that's to say, they've got some big-time performers on that defense with Utah. Devin Lloyd in particular, a guy running at linebacker who, if you look at his stats, I mean, that's a guy with a crazy stat line. I mean, maybe he's not in the same category as Will Anderson or something like that. But, I mean, his stat line is pretty incredible when you look at the, the, the range of different things he's done. And, and I don't know if you've got the stats handy there, Dan, to pull up some of those numbers. But he's a guy that's going to be a very high draft pick. And he's not even the only guy that's a, a very high-level defensive performer on that unit. 106 total tackles, 22 tackles for loss, 8 sacks, 4 interceptions with 2 return for touchdowns, 6 pass breakups. So those are some pretty phenomenal numbers. And now that Olave and Wilson are out of his game, we can say this as a fact. Devin Lloyd is going to be the highest draft pick playing in this game. He he, he could be a top 10 pick. He's going to be the best 2022 NFL draft prospect on the field in this game. And a couple things take away from from one, Utah's best player is an opted out of this game because it means it this game means a lot to Utah. So their best player is going to be out there on the, and he's a damn good player. And so he's certainly I think the player to watch on Utah's deep. They also have I should have checked the pronunciation if it's uh, Nephi Sewell uh, a brother of Noel Sewell, who they played earlier this year against Oregon and who was drafted in the top 10 last year as an offensive tackle. He's also going to be an NFL draft prospect. Clark Phillips, who some of you may remember as an Ohio commit from back in the day, he could probably help Ohio State at cornerback in this game, but he's Utah's number one cornerback. And so, yeah, this is a defense that, again, I mean, there's some similarities to Michigan here too. It's another defense that's really stout at the line of scrimmage in the front seven. They will get after the core. The secondary is their weak point other than Phillips because they have had a lot of injuries back there. So I know there's a big question mark about who's going to start opposite Phillips at corner in this game. And so I think that's the area that Ohio State should look to exploit. Again, the problem is you don't have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And so I think the perceived advantage that Ohio State's passing offense would have over Utah's pass defense, you take some of that away when you take Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson off the field. And so because of that, I think certainly when you don't have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, you're going to have to be able to run the ball. And Utah's run defense 
has been strong, I mean, especially down the stretch. If you you know, look at their last five games in particular, Utah held Stanford to 82 yards on 31 carries, Arizona to 102 yards on 30 carries. Oregon, who ran all over Ohio State in the second game of the year, Oregon had just 63 yards on 20 free carries in the first matchup and then had only 74 yards on 29 carries in the second matchup. And then in between that, Colorado had only 66 yards on 32 carries. So this is not going to be an easy team to run the ball against. And to me, I think when you don't have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, you're going to have to be able to, to grind out the tough yards in the running game to win this game. I'm not overly concerned about the Petit Frere loss here. And that's because of the fact that, for one, Fair Munford was a three-year starter at left tackle. He's going to play left tackle in this game. I think Fair Munford's a better tackle than he is as guard. I, I think he was a lot better last year as a tackle than he was a guard. And I think he, of anybody in this game, he's probably going to be the guy that's the most motivated to go out there and have a great game because he does not want the lasting memory of his Ohio State career to be Aiden Hutchinson dropping him on his ass. And so I think he he's going to want to go out there and, and have a really good game at left tackle. And, and I, I think he will. And then you also bring Matt Jones into the equation. Matt Jones was basically a sixth starter on the offensive line this year. He played a lot in every game. And there is a part of me that, that wonders. It sounds like a crazy thing to say when you're talking about taking a potential first round pick off the offensive line. But there's a part of me that thinks maybe the offensive line plays better in this game because you put a real guard in there at left guard in Matt Jones. And I don't think the drop-off from Petit Frere to Munford is going to be major in any way. And so while you'd certainly love to have Petit, I think the offensive line, I, I don't think losing Petit Frere necessarily makes me think less of the offensive line going into this game. It's more just the fact that this is a unit that has struggled to move the ball in big games. And so we have to see, can they really muscle up? Can they really finally play up to their potential against a, a stout run defense? And that's a question that's going to have to be answered on Saturday. Well, Dan, and now you've perfectly segued us into our next listener question because Big Ed asks us, which team do you think will rush for the most yards in this game? And I'm also wondering on top of that, how much will that outcome specifically that that game inside the game how much will that be the result of the game at the end of the day is the team that wins that battle potentially the winner of the game dan what say you that's an excellent question and i'm like now i'm like oh i probably should have like made picked my answer for this before we did it because that, that's a really good question because i mean i think it could go either way i mean if you look at it Statistically, Ohio State has actually allowed fewer rushing yards per game over the course of a season, although it's only a four-yard difference. That said, I am going to go with Utah for two reasons. For one, I think Utah is just going to run the ball more than Ohio State. Like, I don't necessarily like. I think I don't necessarily like think that Utah is for sure going to have a better rushing average because. We talked about Utah having the second best rushing average. Well, Ohio State still has the third best rushing average of any team in college football this year. They didn't play that well in, in a couple of big games, but overall, Ohio State still was mostly successful running the ball this year. And so I think Ohio State is capable uh, of having a big day on the ground. And I think they will be better in that area than they against Michigan. 
But even with Olave and Wilson out, I still don't think they're going to run the ball nearly as many times as Utah. And so because of that, I'm going to go with Utah being the team that I think will uh, have the more rushing yards at the end of the game. And I do think that is going to be a significant factor in this game. I think, because I think, I think for both teams running the ball, how well they run the ball is going to be really important to the success in this game. I think it's probably more important for Utah. And so I think if Ohio State can effectively stop the run and force Utah to pass, I think that's probably Ohio State's inside track to winning this game. I think for Utah, that's not necessarily going to win you the game because Ohio State still has C.J. Stroud, still has Jackson Smith and Jigba, still has Jeremy Ruckert and multiple other five-star wide receivers, and Utah has a suspect secondary. And so I think Ohio State is still going to have a pass-heavy game plan. They're still going to make their share of explosive plays through the air. That said, I do think Ohio State is going to have to do a better job than it did against Michigan and against Nebraska and some of these other games in grinding out those tough yards and you know, third down in the red zone and all that. And and we'll see if Ohio State ends up being able to get that done in this game. On the flip side, I'll say I think if Ohio State does win the rushing yardage battle, that probably means they're going to win the game. I would agree I, with that. Because I think Ohio State's still going to do relatively well in the passing game because why wouldn't they? And, of course, like, as we already talked about, the, the Utah passing attack is not necessarily this high-flying unit. So I think if Ohio State, if Travion Henderson runs wild once again, I think that would probably spell an Ohio State victory. But Dan, now we've gotten to the moment that our listeners possibly have been waiting for. Who do we actually think is going to win this game and how do we see it playing out? Perhaps you've already tipped your hand based on your answer to the last question. Yeah, I mean, I've gone back and forth on this one. This has been one of the harder games, you know, I've I've felt about predicting in a while. And let's be honest, like, my game predictions, and I don't think yours have been much better. Uh, my, my game predictions down the stretch of a regular season were not very good because I, I thought Purdue and Michigan State were going to be close games. They weren't at all. And then I thought Ohio State was going to blow out Michigan and they got their ass beat. And so I have not uh, been too accurate with my game predictions this year, which is probably a good thing if you want Ohio State to win this game because – Look, I can truly – this is one of those games, like I've said this before, and I, but like I really – like this is one of those games that I truly – like there's no outcome that would really shock me in this game. Like Ohio State blowing out Utah, like putting it all together, blowing out Utah because they're the more talented team, like that wouldn't shock me. I don't expect it, but it wouldn't shock me. I also wouldn't be shocked if Utah blows out Ohio State. Like I don't think that should happen. But I do think there's two there's two big things that ultimately, you know, I think favor Utah in this game. And for one, this is the kind of team that's built to exploit Ohio State's weaknesses. Because obviously, we all saw it in the Michigan game. And you know, this is an Ohio State team that when it, when an opponent forces you to play physical and is going to force you to, to win the line of scrimmage to win the game. Those are the kind of games Ohio State has struggled in. And this is a Utah team that's really good on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I mean, they've blown out an Oregon team twice that beat Ohio State. And so this Utah team is built 
in a way that is going to make this a really tough challenge for Ohio State. And Ohio State has to play better than it did against Michigan. Has to play better than it did against Oregon if it's going to have a chance to win this game. And then there's just the fact that this game absolutely does matter more to Utah than it does to Ohio State. I'm hesitant to put too much into that because I really do believe that Ohio State is motivated to win this game, cares about winning this game, wants to win this game. I don't think it's meaningless to Ohio State, but that doesn't change the fact that four of Ohio State's best players opted out of the game. Like, if it meant that much to them, they probably aren't losing four of their best players to opt-outs. You know, we already know that they're probably going to be without some other uh, starters or other regular contributors too. And so uh, there's just my gut feeling all along has been that Utah is going to win this game. And I I don't have high confidence in it. I'm not betting on it. I I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, overly sold that that's what's going to happen. And especially in a world that we live in right now with COVID and everything else, there's a chance that I could change my prediction between now and Saturday. But my gut all along has told me that Utah is going to win this game. And so I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with Utah 35, Ohio State 31. Okay, so when I used the word meaningless earlier, I mean it more so in the sense that if Ohio State wins, they don't really get anything. And in the eyes of a lot of people who might not be breaking this matchup down as detailed as we are, they're supposed to win this game. It's Ohio State. They're supposed to win that game. But the thing is... It's not meaningless in the sense that Ohio State does have quite a bit to lose in this game because you're if you lose this game if you're Ohio State, you're going out on back-to-back losses, three losses in a season, and that's just something that, that fans are not accustomed to. They're, fans, they're not accustomed to losing one of the first few games, a regular season game, especially a home game in the regular season, which they already did. They're not accustomed to losing to Michigan, of course, which happened for the first time in a decade, and they certainly would not be accustomed to losing a third game in a season which we have not seen in, in recent times at all. And for that reason, I think Ohio State I think it has to win this game, and I think they're going to win this game, albeit in a close game. I think it's going to be like 34-31. I, I already forget what you said. I said 35-31. So we're, oh, okay, okay. we're both right in that same vein here. Of, I think a very close game, both teams in the low 30s. But I think Ohio State's going to come out on top. They're going to have extra time to prepare, I think, as well. Which obviously that can go either that can always go either way, and I know everything you're saying about Utah having just a, a much higher level of motivation and their best players are opting in, not opting out. I think all of that definitely is true, and I would wouldn't be shocked to see Ohio State lose at all. But I just think if Ohio State loses, man, you have to go play Notre Dame in the first game of the season next year. I just think Ryan Day and the Buckeyes that those things do matter and that they're going to pull out a win here. I think the the talent is going to take over and I think yeah, I think they're I think they're going to edge out the win. The three-point win, but of course I would not be surprised to see it go the other way either. Hopefully we're at least right about the kind of game this would be like for the fans at home. Like hopefully they'll get an exciting game one way or the other, like a real battle. Like hopefully it's not a blowout by either team. Like it's the final game of the I mean some of you out there would probably, probably love to see an Ohio State blowout. It would probably make my life a little bit easier writing the recap after the game. But yeah, I mean, hopefully it, it, it's a good game, the final game of the season. I mean, I really do think it's going to be a good matchup. I think it's going to be 
a, a highly competitive game. It's just, you know, it, it you know, and I think both of us can, can go back to the fact that like, yeah, Utah's not a name brand, but Utah is absolutely good enough to win this game. I don't think either of us are going to be surprised if Utah wins this game. You don't, you're not picking it to happen. I am. And so certainly if Ohio State wins big, I'll be the one who takes the flack for that and deservedly so. But it's just going to be, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be one of those games that I think certainly can go either way. And I think we're going to learn something else about this Ohio State team on on Saturday. Not that, you know, I I don't want to put too much into the notion of like the momentum going into next season. Because like, I don't think it really matters if Ohio State wins this game. Like, I, I don't really, in terms of next season, I'm saying, I think it matters. You want to finish this season on a win. But, I, you know, I don't think losing a third game against the Rose Bowl precludes Ohio State from going undefeated and winning the national championship next year. Not that I'm predicting that, just saying that, you know, I think whatever happens in this game one way or the other isn't necessarily going to have an impact on what happens next year. Still, you certainly want to finish the season the right way. I think the morale and the Woody Hayes Athletic Center when they start winter workouts in January is certainly going to be higher if you go into those off a Rose Bowl win uh, than if you go into them off of back-to-back losses. And so we'll see what happens. One other thing we should touch on, Dan, from Tuesday's availability that we had, and this also was a question from Silver Sniper as well, just the makeup of the Ohio State defensive coaching staff right now, that's kind of a question looming over Ohio State as we go into this game. Because like you said, on Sunday, Ohio State's going to have a new defensive coordinator. We still don't know what's going to happen with the likes of Kerry Combs, Matt Barnes, etc. We did get, we, we didn't really get like a full newsworthy thing from Matt Barnes on that topic. He said he would like to be back. But of course, we didn't learn that he's definitely not going to be back or definitely going to be back. The, the players that we talked to said that they would certainly you know, be in favor of Matt Barnes coming back, of course. But Silver Sniper asks us then, are the Buckeyes waiting too long to fully assemble or make changes to the defensive staff until after the, the Rose Bowl? The Silver Sniper says, it seems like it'll be slim pickings if the plan is to replace any coaches. What say you? No, and the reason for that is because I don't think anybody should actually believe that they haven't made any decisions at this point and that they don't already have a plan in place. I mean, Ryan Day doesn't, you know, he said all along he doesn't want to talk about that until after the Rose Bowl. I would be surprised if by this time next week when we're recording our next podcast, if we haven't heard more about what the staff is going to look like next year. I, I think the, the only re- I think the only reason that things wouldn't move very quickly come next week would be if Ohio State is looking at anybody who's currently in the NFL trying to hire them to assess. I haven't heard anything to suggest that they're doing that, but you never know. But I, I think things will move quickly next week. You know, I, I think the, the, the bigger question is, should we expect to see more new defensive coaches coming in? Or should we just expect this to be one or maybe two people leaving the staff with Jim Knowles coming in? And the vibe I get is toward the latter. The vibe I get is that this isn't going to be a complete overhaul of the defensive coaching staff. But the vibe that I get is that they would like to keep most of the current staff in place. Somebody's got to go because you're bringing in an assistant coach. So somebody's not going to be back on that staff next year. You know, if there's 
two or three changes that wouldn't shock me. But I don't think it's going to be – I don't think this is going to be like when Day took over and he basically cleaned house except Larry Johnson. That's not my feeling on what's going to happen. I don't. I definitely do not know that for sure. So it's certainly possible that major changes are coming to the staff. But it's just not the vibe that I've gotten that they want to completely change the coaching staff. I, I do think Jim Knowles is going to have a say in this, though, because you, you get – the early vibe that I get, I mean, I don't want to say it's fully because Ryan Day was saying last week the general defensive structure is not really going to change. So I still think Ryan Day, he wants that 4-2-5 to be the primary look for the I don't think he wants Knowles to come in and completely change his defensive philosophy. That said, I do think Jim Knowles is going to have more autonomy than the defensive coordinators have had the last few years. I mean, I think you pay a guy $1.9 million, that's kind of a way it works. You, know, you get the vibe that I, I feel like Knowles is going to be more of a head coach of a defense than the way it's been the past few years. So I think that if Jim Knowles has somebody that he really wants to bring in with him, that could happen. I also think that if that's the case, there's probably nothing to worry about in terms of guys being scooped up because... I th- that would be my feeling is most likely anybody else who comes in is going to be somebody who Jim Knowles already has an established relationship with. And if that's the case, I'm sure he's already talked to those people about coming in and those plans are already in the works and they're just not going to finalize anything until after the Rose Bowl. And so I think a plan is already in place. That doesn't necessarily mean that final decisions have been made. That doesn't necessarily mean that coaches have been told whether or not they're going to be retained next season. But I don't think this is a matter of Ryan Day sitting on his hands and waiting until January to start making decisions. I think decisions have probably already been made. You're just not going to publicize anything until after the Rose Bowl has been played. Dan, quickly here, in and out overrated underrated or somewhere in the middle well I, I understand that there's another podcast on this beat where i think there's been arguments that wendy's is better than in and out but i'm not in that boat in and out the fries are not very good i think most people agree on that the fries are not very good but the burgers and the shakes are very good hopefully we will make a trip to in and out at some point here by the end of the week I'm certainly looking forward to that. I've only had it one other time, and I was also in a very bad mood when I had it the first time, so I don't know if that's... You don't want that. Yeah, no, I want to be in a nice, good mood in in sunny L.A., in and out, have all those experiences, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. I don't really feel like I've ever seen you in, like, a really bad mood, so... Well, it can happen. In that situation, I was driving a rental car, and everyone was bitching at me about my driving when I was working for the Lantern in the 2019 <laughs> game. So that type of situation could definitely uh, get me over the Those answer. are the kind of things put you in a bad mood. I think you you and Garrick have seen me in a bad mood at times when I've been driving and running into issues, especially yes, yes. when it's been a rental car in the equation. So I totally understand where you're coming from there. But yeah, we're going to have to get you some in and out when you're in a good mood this week. <laughs> and then we'll go to the game on Saturday. We will be at the Rose Bowl uh, in Pasadena on Saturday. Kickoff is scheduled for 5.10 p.m. Eastern time, 2.10 uh, local time here out in California. And that game will be on ESPN. And so uh, I'm sure you guys will all be watching that and hope you guys enjoy the game. And we will be back next week to wrap it all up and start looking ahead to 2022. So thanks again for joining us. 
I hope you all have a happy new year since that's also coming up here at the end of a week. And we'll talk to you again in 2022.